and welcome to PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm your host, Ian Harditson. Monday night football is over. It's 1.30 a.m. Eastern Time. And I'm excited, everyone. This has been great. Week one has finally come to an end. Uh, not the best maybe finish to Monday night that we could have hoped for. Just far too many uh, kind of kicker takes and kickers sucking and kickers ruining the general game experience for my liking. But, you know, that's a little bit of a personal problem. I think in general, uh, this was a pretty good football all we could ask in week one, especially from some of these offenses. So uh, just real quickly with this podcast, we're going to go through the Steelers went over the Giants, the Titans went over the Broncos, and then I have some quick people I want to touch on with the waiver wire and get some suggestions out there. So starting off with the Steelers beating the Giants 26-16. Big Ben by all accounts. I mean, looked pretty good. 21 for 32. Two and 29 yards, three touchdowns, no picks. He was limping around a little bit. It wasn't like it was vintage, you know, 2018 Big Ben. His ADOT was only 7.2 yards downfield, so I wasn't trying to make too much happen. But, you know, to see him go out there, finish a game and not having any, you know, major setbacks, it's all you really could ask for. So uh, kudos to Big Ben there. I, I don't think it changes his kind of fancy outlook moving forward all that much. I mean, we're not going to get uh, that 2017-2018 guy who I think could threaten to lead the league in pass attempts, but at the same time, in the right matchup, he's still plenty uh, capable, I think, of flirting with 300 yards and multiple touchdowns. So, you know, continue to treat Big Ben kind of in that firm, mid-tier to high-end QB2 range moving forward. Uh, big story with Pittsburgh, though, is in the running back room. James Conner, all eight touches in the season, suffers a sprained ankle. Didn't look good before uh, having that happen anyway. I mean, only six carries, nine yards, and uh, two catches for eight yards on four targets. A lot of us on the old Twitter sphere thought that he was just benched from a bad performance because Benny Snell came in and was giving him a little juice early on, but it was, in fact, a sprained ankle. Uh, Adam Schefter said that the team is optimistic for a timely return, but, you know, it's just tough to know with uh, Connor. I, I was one of, uh, you know, the fantasy analysts out there saying that, yeah, you should take the chance on the guy. And, you know, it certainly seemed like he did have the three-down roll for the entire 15 snaps he played. So it's really unfortunate. You never want to see anyone get hurt. I realize it was a, a higher concern with him. And, you know, that was why he was going, uh, you know, in rounds three through five and not round one. If we could, you know, turn injuries off, James Connor would be one of the top five, top uh, RBs in the league in terms of fantasy production so it's unfortunate this happened but the big takeaway is that Benny Snell should be on a fantasy roster in almost any league and look I don't think he deserves to be in this upper upper tier of handcuffs but clearly if, he, if uh, James Conner is going to miss time Benny Snell we can fire him up for at least 15 rushes per week it was still split a little bit I mean if you look at the snaps Snell ended up at 29 Jalen Samuels was right there at 20 I still don't think they quite trust Snell as a receiving back but hey you know, 113 yards on 19 carries, and he looked good doing it. I mean, I know Snell caught a lot of grief as a rookie for just, you know, being a snail-like back and not having that type of burst, but he actually did show some wiggle out there. I know the matchup isn't the toughest, but overall saw performance by Benny Snell. And again, I mean, if Connor misses time, we're going to be ranking Snell as a top 15, top 18. Maybe that's a little high. He, he'll at least be an, an RB2, top 24. I can guarantee that. Again, he's not Tony Pollard, Alexander Madison level, where if, you know, Dalvin Cook or Ezekiel Elliott went down, those guys are legit RB1s. But, I mean, definitely worse people to have on your fantasy bench uh, than Snell because we do know Con Connor's unfortunate tendency to get injured. Uh, wide receiver room, Deontay Johnson was on his way to having a rough game 
game, had a really bad drop, and you wonder if we were looking at, you know, Dante Moncrief in 2019 all over again. But guy came back strong. Uh, Big Ben ran right back to him to play after the drop. He ended up with team high, 10 targets, 5 catches, 57 yards, uh, no scores. So great to see from Deontay. Juju Smith-Schuster was also fantastic. Only 6 targets, but he caught all 6 of them for 69 yards and 2 scores. And again, I know some people just don't quite buy, you know, just the idea that Juju is this uh, true wide receiver one. You know, and Antonio Brown was that guy when he was there. You know, is Juju the guy that can really win consistently all over the field? And I don't know. But luckily, he plays almost all of his snaps from the friendly confines of the slot. And when he's got a guy like Big Ben back there, he can put the ball where it needs to be. So we did see it seemed like some easier completions for Juju and even De- Deontay throughout this game. I do. That's just, you know. Another reality of having Big Ben under center and not Mason Rudolph or uh, something named Duck Hodges. So great to see from those top two guys. Uh, James Washington found his way into the end zone. Two catches, 34 yards. And Chase Claypool had an incredible catch down the sideline. I mean, don't be one of those people that say Chase Claypool is a tight end. That's not fair. I have not seen that in, you know, the limited amount of film. I've watched him Claypool. I've seen him blow up a lot of cornerbacks at Notre Dame, you know, in the blocking game. But just because you're a good blocker doesn't mean you're a tight end. Claypool can do it all. They seem to love him. It still is the James Washington show, though. He was at 25 routes compared to just seven for Claypool. Deontay and Juju are in the mid-30s, so it's clear, you know, who the top two are in Pittsburgh. But for now, Washington has uh, continued to hold off Claypool. Uh, Tight end room, pretty unfortunate, everyone. Uh, It seemed like a situation where Ebron could really take over, but it's a two-tight end system here in Pittsburgh. Ebron had 40 snaps, 24 routes. Vance McDonald had 38 snaps, 16 routes. Both of them had two targets. Look, if one of these guys gets hurt, which, hey, you know, with Vance especially, it's not like health is uh, something he's really known for keeping. But uh, if one of these guys gets hurt, we, we can revisit uh, the situation. But right now, it's just like Minnesota where two pretty talented tight ends together canceling each other out. Um, moving on to the Giants' side of the ball, Daniel Jones, 279 yards through the air, two touchdowns, two picks, took three sacks. Looked a little skittish at times. I mean, he had an awesome touchdown Darius Slayton uh, down the middle on deep post that kind of showed off some of his arm talent and what he's capable of when things are clicking. He also chipped in 22 yards on the ground. I mean, it definitely could have been worse. I mean, going against a Steelers defense that was number one in the league last year in havoc and pressure rate, uh, I, I was kind of expecting him to completely dud. So the fact he put up any sort of numbers was a good sign. But, you know, it wasn't all that encouraging with that said. I mean, only 6.9-yard average target depth, a lot of dinking and dunking going on. But really wasn't as bad as Saquon Barkley's night. I mean, oh, my goodness. You can't. Cannot blame this guy. I mean, I still maintain that Saquon, you know, if we had to play the aliens in one game to try to defend Planet Earth's volume in a football Space Jam type collaboration, I mean, I think Saquon Barkley is going to be our RB1, but man, we got to get this dude some blockers. Negative 0.7 yards before contact on the night for Saquon. 15 carries for a whopping 6 yards. That's going to be a big time sheesh from me. Kind of saved the day with a 660-0 receiving line on 9 targets. I mean, he had like 2 or 3 positive plays and he had 2 hurdles on the night. So, I mean, you know the guy can still do it. But just brutal effort from the Giants O-line tonight. I mean, they're going to need to get that. They're going to have easier matchups down the road. I mean, you know, playing Cam Hayward, Safan Tua, and just that entire Steelers front 7, Bud Dupree had himself a hell of a game uh, in particular you know doing that you're not going to you're not going to have a lot of big days but i think uh, fancy investors would have liked more than 6 yards obviously saquon isn't going anywhere as a high end uh, rb1 
Uh, Deion Lewis, one carry, one target. He wasn't involved. It was a Saquon show, 88% snaps. Uh, no reason to overthink one bad performance. And quickly with the wide receivers, Darius Slayton's season caught six of nine targets, 102 yards, pair of touchdowns. Second one was a little easier, just kind of in garbage time. Sterling Shepard caught all six of his targets at 47 yards with a really high slot rate. I do have concerns when Golden Tate comes back that could push Shepard out of the slot. You know, I was looking last year at kind of who are the league's more sensitive wide receivers and inside versus outside and you have guys like Adam Thielen, Chris Goblin where you can put them wherever and they're going to ball out but Sterling Shepard was one of these guys where he was very sensitive to the slot and they were using Golden Tate there more so uh, you know for his ceiling I think it'd be better if Golden Tate continues to miss time with his hamstring injury we'll see if that's the case uh, Evan Ingram very disappointing two catches for nine yards on seven targets nobody else out there had more than two this was a brutal matchup I mean I don't think anyone was starting these guys to begin with Moving on, you know, when we have good weeks with the Giants, which is not going to feature a lot in September, but, you know, once October comes around, Daniel Jones is going to be back on that, you know, QB1 borderline, maybe high-end uh, QB2 worst case just because he does throw enough and run enough to put that up. And these wide receivers, and I mean, this is why we've been saying on this podcast to draft them uh, throughout this offseason. I mean, they were all priced as wide receiver threes, and, you know, that's kind of what Shepard put up in this spot, you know, with the six catches, 47 yards. But Slayton, he's putting up wide receiver one numbers with 100-plus yards and two touchdowns we'll see i don't think it's gonna be super consistent but you know at a minimum these are very cheap ways uh, to get into a passing game that again when they're not facing the steelers are gonna be putting up even more numbers so uh that was a fun one titans broncos a little bit less fun titans won 16 to 14 freaking steven gostowski missed three field goals one extra point and had many mean things said about him but he made uh you know some 25 yard chip shot at the end of the game we'll get called a hero by some nincompoop out there on the internet i don't get it i wish kickers weren't involved at all but that's story for another day anyway big story here was ryan Tannehill, 43 pass attempts 249 yards two scores i mean the efficiency wasn't there but just seeing that volume in a game that you know I guess it was more just a total of plays and carries than anything because Derrick Henry had 31 rush attempts. It wasn't like they got away from trying to, you know, hashtag establish it, but Tannehill really did just write that up. I mean, he only had more than 30 pass attempts in four of 13 starts last season. He was more likely to throw 20 or fewer times as he did uh, in five separate occasions. So uh, Tannehill also chipped in 14 yards on the ground. Looks like they're going to open up at least a little bit moving forward, which is really good sign for not only our guy, A.J. Brown, but also also, man of the hour, Corey Davis, who went for 101 yards, third time in his career, he's had over 100 yards. And I mean, when we looked at this uh, receiving core throughout the offseason, the assumption was that only one person is going to be able to break out because they're going to be so run heavy. But, you know, if week one was any indication, they're going to be having to throw the ball around a lot more. And, you know, Corey Davis is free. He's free out there. I still think Jonu Smith could be the number two guy in this past game more weeks than not. But, hey, you know what? I mean, it happened with Devontae Parker last year. And, uh, you know, fun fact, both Corey Davis and Devontae Parker came in at the combine. Six foot three, 216 pounds. Both guys are two of the only dudes in the league with success over Stephon Gilmore. You know, I'm, I'm not trying to talk you guys into – in the Corey Davis, I know it might seem that way. I'm really not trying to. I, it's probably more of a week one Sammy Watkins situation. 
I think that's kind of how we have to approach it. But with that said, you know, if you have that Randall Cobb uh, or that, you know, kind of wide receiver three, wide receiver four on your bench that, you know, just week one came by and you're not getting that usage you want, Corey Davis is there and he's not the worst, uh, you know, waiver wire guy to give a look. So uh, kudos to him for the big day. A.J. Brown, you know, really slow start, but they really were feeding him a lot in the second half, particularly on the final drive. And they dialed up a, you know, goal line fade that could have really iced the game and been huge for them. But it looked like to me, I got to watch a little closer tomorrow. It seemed like Tannehill missed him, but A.J. Brown really looked like he had a shot at it. I mean, literally just over the fingertips. I don't know if he maybe could have dove or what. Tannehill should have put the ball in a better spot, but very close for A.J. Brown to adding a touchdown to that total. Um, hats off, John U. Smith, four catches, 36 yards, and a score. That guy is so scary with the ball in his hands. Uh, since 2010, only George Kittle has averaged more uh, yards after contact per reception at the tight end position. Position. Absolutely love seeing Janu continue to get fed. You know, if he's available, uh, you know, in, in fantasy on, on your waiver wires and you need a tight end, you know, it's he's not, I don't think he's going to get seven targets on a weekly basis, but if you just want to line the tight ends up and say, hey, here you go, who, these guys are all getting five targets, who you think is going to make the most out of them, Johnu might be the guy that uh, you end up picking. So good stuff there. On the Broncos side of the ball, Drew Locke, 216 yards and a score, had a chance to ice the game with a potential dagger to Deshaun Hamilton deep, but overthrew him late in the fourth quarter. You know, he shows some mobility out there. He continues to kind of be this guy that can create occasionally off script, which, you know, it's good to see because feasibly you can you know teach the quarterbacks to rein things in uh, uh, you know in, in the scheme and then if they can create on their own even better. Now I realize this doesn't work with everyone. I'm far from a quarterback evaluator uh, myself, but we have seen you know just flashes from Locke. I don't think he's going to be a fantasy factor anytime soon, but you know it's the guys. This was his what fifth, fifth or sixth. I believe his sixth career start. So uh, you know would not be throwing in the towel on him just yet. And the fact they kind of let him throw that deep ball to Deshaun with a chance to win. In the game I think shows that the coaching staff remains high on him so better days to come for Drew Locke and particularly once he gets his number one target back Corlin Sutton who did miss this game because Jerry Judy my goodness I mean the dude had two pretty bad drops but you're I mean you just look at the other the rest of the game and this guy's routes were unbelievable I believe it was PFF's own Mike Renner who said that uh Judy's one of the best route runners to come out in the last decade or so and I can see why I mean this guy is going to have an amazing highlight clip in seemingly three or four games those one-on-one shots with him first the corner it just looks smooth explosive when he got the ball in his hands he looked really good as well uh team high eight targets for judy even once sutton gets back i mean judy looks like someone that might be good enough to produce on his own Another guy that has that, you know, factor going for him, just the it factor, was Noah Font. Caught five of six targets, 81 yards, and a score. Look, I mean, he's one of the guys we've been hyping up this offseason. When tight ends do anything as a rookie, it's a pretty good sign they're going to be great because most tight ends do absolutely nothing. But here are the only rookie tight ends with eight-plus yards uh, per target since 2000. Chris Herndon, Mark Andrews, Gronk, Hunter Henry, Heath Miller, Aaron Hernandez, Jordan Reed, Zach Ertz, George Kittle, and our favorite Broncos tight end, Noah Fon. So, great game from him. The Yaks wild. Last year, only A.J. Brown and Debo Samuel averaged more yards after catch per reception. That's among, you know, wide receivers, running backs, tight ends, everything. So, awesome uh, job by Fant. You know, it's once Sutton comes back, I worry if he's going to be able to consistently get more than five targets like he did uh, tonight. But, 
either way, similar to John U. Smith, like he can make the most of the opportunities. Uh, in the backfield, Philip Lindsay had to leave early with a foot injury. Before that, Melvin Gordon was working as the lead guy, but definitely was a 1A, 1B uh, type situation. Gordon got the three targets and he's the pass down back, but you know, looking like a 60-40 kind of weekly split. Credit to Gordon for coming back strong after a fumble and uh, you know, kind of showing some of that broken tackle ability. This guy led the league in broken tackles in 2016 and 2018. But, you know, whether or not he's going to get that full workhorse role with or without Lindsey, I don't see it happening. It seems like they really want to make this a two-back committee of sorts. Once Lindsey left, they did bring in Royce Freeman. He had a nice catch and got some runs. So, you know, Melvin Gordon, hey, he's going to be, I think, a weekly RB2 option, but don't really see it in his range of outcomes to post a top 10 or 12 finish at the position this year so that was the kicker fest you know thank you and not thank you Stephen guskowski for putting us through that real quick want to go through some waiver wire options so i went on yahoo and just looked at the roster uh percentages if someone has you know a better source out there you think maybe for uh, what's better or more uh, realistic for who's actually on the waiver wire or not let me know but you know i just pick people under 50 percent on that so if i'm listing anyone too obvious i get it you know feel free to chastise me publicly on twitter but i'm trying my hardest for everyone out there so quickly at quarterback gardner Minshew. i mean only on 26 percent of the rosters he was one of my guys going into the year you know for him to go into sunday complete 19 or 20 passes three scores and add 19 rushing yards it's it's wild because he's had a higher floor than that in the past. You know, fifth in rushing last year at the quarterback position. He never threw fewer than 25 times per game. So I think week one was an exception. We're going to see him throwing the ball more. And when he's doing it, not this week, not this week is great because he's got the Titans who we just saw, you know, make life pretty tough for that Broncos offense. But after week two, this is why you want Gardner on your roster now because after week two, we get the Dolphins. Bengals, Texans, and Lions. Four straight games where Minshew is going to be a borderline QB1. So go get him now if uh, you're in a Q2, uh, 2QB league or, you know, have failed, ha have had someone fail you like myself, unfortunately, with Tyrod Taylor. Write that wrong right now. Drop Tyrod. Get Gardner. Apologies, everyone. You know, we're going to live and learn, adjust, and, you know, I'm happy to admit the mistakes. Don't want to take, uh, you know, the victory laps. We're, we'll get better. So, you know, unfortunately, Tyrod only get those uh, I seven rushing yards, but you know what? He doesn't seem like he's the same guy. The offense isn't fitting him as well, and Gardner Minshew, the dude might just have it. So, get that dude on the squad uh, running back I was just surprised to notice some of these lower percentages. I mean, Alexander Madison, 45%. Chase Edmonds, 41%. Tony Pollard, 36%. If, if you need help, like I get it, you can't afford to kind of keep these guys. But if your roster's in a good place, I mean, scoop these dudes up because we're going to see everyone blowing fab on Benny Snow and Naeem Hines this week. And like if any of Madison, Edmonds, or Pollard were available, they'd all be consensus. You know, you should literally use your entire fab almost on these guys type players because those could be the guys where they would legit B RB ones if their uh, you know team starter goes down so I'm not saying don't look at these guys I mean Naeem Hines the Colts had 17 targets to RBs in week one the 49ers are next closest team with 12 I mean just wild that the amount that Rivers involves both Hines and Taylor in the passing game he's not Eckler but he can be a mediocre version and be a solid fancy asset like a legit top 30 guy the rest of the way even if he get, keeps getting this sort of workload so the ceiling is even a little bit higher because you know let's face it Hines was getting some of the even the early Early down in red zone work over Taylor. So I think Taylor's going to be the lead guy very soon. You know, it's definitely sooner rather than later. But Hines can definitely provide some fancy value. 
Benny Snell, you know, talked about him earlier. Credit to him. Fair play for looking good out there. But, you know, it's not going to be a legit three-down roll. Just, hey, RB2 value is great. I mean, you want as many RB2s on the squad as you can get. Like, nothing wrong there. But, uh, you know, wouldn't recommend blowing 75% fab. Sounds like Connor isn't going to miss a ton of time. And, you know, Anthony McFarland wasn't uh, active. I go back to this quote that, uh, you know, Tomlin said. And, you know, we've been talking up James Connor with it. But, and he mentioned how, you know, if you don't have that feature guy, you want other guys that can kind of do different parts of it so you know i know we've been hyping up connor getting three down roll but it's not going to be there for snow we'll still take the 15 to 20 rush attempts that's great but you know just don't go into these games expecting uh snell to get you know the rb1 workload for steelers running backs which has usually included you know 70 to 80 receptions with guys like bell and connor in 2018 uh malcolm brown yeah look he commanded the backfield game one it seems like henderson's gonna get a little more involved as he gets healthier uh you know mcveigh said things when i According to plan, Henderson had the hot hand. They went with him. He's not going to be a guy that, that I think is going to give you as consistent of value moving forward as Hines and even a Snell, potentially, I would prioritize Hines and Snell ahead of Malcolm Brown this week. But, you know, they like him. Akers was so involved, too, though. I just think this is a situation where, uh, you know, when the game probably doesn't go quite as well for them on the ground. I mean, let's face it, the Cowboys defense, when you take away Leighton Van Der Esch first play, it's their first drive, whatever it was. I mean, that's it's just an, a below average unit. So I'm a, still a little skeptical that we're going to see this Rams offense, you know, put up those sorts of points. And I don't think Brown has a stranglehold by any stretch on this backfield he's, he's not a bad guy to have on the roster I mean again if you are having injuries and you need a spot start okay Brown's definitely that guy but just in terms of best case you know ceiling outcomes I don't think he's quite there uh, with Snell Hines Madison Edmonds Pollard a uh, couple other quick guys Carlos Hyde had more rush attempts than Carson because of game script look hopefully they keep letting Russ cook but just saying you know if they go back to normal Brian Schottenheimer Seahawks football wouldn't it be shocking to see Hyde rack up some you know 12 plus rush attempt games joshua kelly got five of seven snaps inside the 10 yard line with the chargers i still think we uh, kind of overrate goal line backs i mean it's not, not gonna be a situation where if eckler you know gets a gets the ball down the two yard line they're gonna just sprint out of the game and make sure to get kelly in there there's a stoppage of play a guy gets hurt there's a timeout okay maybe they get kelly out there and they get their short uh you know short yardage uh um, just uh, personnel out there. But again, like this happened with Melvin Gordon and Eckler last year where, yeah, Gordon was the early guy and he got, you know, a good amount of carries. But Eckler is still that lead back, 69% snaps. He's going to have more than one target moving forward. The big thing with Kelly to watch out for is uh, um, Justin Jackson's availability because he did have a quad injury and that's why Kelly was getting the featured run uh, as Eckler's backup. So, hey, you know, maybe he can become a Melvin Gordon and we can see the Chargers enable two you know top 24 uh, running backs like they were doing the second half of last season i'm a little skeptical i think it was more of a good week one than a major sign of things to come uh, finally jared mckinnon got a lot of red zone snaps and played well but you know for him to be really on the fantasy grid i think we would should have seen him really dominate the target share and not split it so much with mostert Moving on, wide receiver, Jalen Rager, 38% owned in these Yahoo leagues. Amazing 55-yard catch. Played the most snaps with the Eagles uh, of the wide receivers. So, you know, Ertz and Goddard make it a unique situation. They're going to continue to be involved. But, you know, don't be afraid to fire up Rager sooner rather than later. Both Curtis Samuel and Robbie Anderson at 31%. These guys are fine to have on your bench. I mean, in these target distribution for the Panthers, it was DJ Moore with 9. Then Curtis and Robbie at 8. CMC all the way down to 4. So, maybe a situation where we're seeing the wide 
wide receivers get more and more involved on a team that's going to be in comeback mode a lot. Uh, Paris Campbell, look, lead slot receiver on the Colts, number two pass game option. He's getting design stuff and showed the ability to win on some real, you know, crossers and stuff throughout the game. So love the Paris. Uh, and then Scotty Miller, 6%. Brady, the, the debut didn't go great for the guy, but I'll tell you what, he showed some real good touch on his deep balls. That arm is not washed by any stretch yet. He seems like the best fit alongside Goblin and Evans. Could see, you know, Miller being the four or five receiver more weeks than not. But hey, you know, Brady deep ball looks good. Maybe just in DFS, but you know, if you got a deep roster, deep league, give Scotty Miller a shot. And yeah, I mentioned Corey Davis before, but you know, among these guys, I would probably, I'd say take Corey Davis ahead of Scotty Miller. I'm not going to overreact to it too much. I would still rather have the Panthers receivers, Rager or Paris Campbell ahead of Corey Davis for the rest of the year. Maybe proves me wrong. Go ahead. Go to you, Corey. We'll see. Let's see it happen 15 more games. Uh, quickly, tight end. Ebron mentioned the split snaps. Don't get into that. O.J. Howard is a little interesting. I mean, Gronk had 21 receiving snaps last week. O.J. Howard had 19, and uh, Howard doubled his targets. So don't think it's a situation you're going to be lining up to play him. But, uh, you know, O.J. Howard, if he finishes as this kind of offense, his number three target uh, leader, which is in reach, he's going to put up some numbers. Um, Logan Thomas is getting some love, but, you know, to his to his credit, it's not a committee. He played over Marcus Ball and Jeremy Sprinkle, but, you know, still an offense that I don't think is going to be able to consistently enable another guy. The deep sleeper tight end I would go after is Jordan Akins because he was actually out there as much as Cobb Fuller and David Johnson. He wasn't splitting snaps with Darren Fells for once. He was the guy. He seems good. You know, Deshaun Watson is going to put up yards to whoever is out there. And finally, uh, I would recommend streaming the Browns defense against that Bengals offensive line. I like Burrow now. I mean, if you got Burrow, it's time to start the guy. I think I think he showed, uh, you know, that mobility that we're looking for from the rookie QB and he'll only get better throwing the ball. But, you know, we got Miles Garrett out there against the defensive line, offensive line. They really didn't come close to blocking uh, Joey Bosa and Melvin Ingram to a lesser extent all afternoon. Uh, definitely think the Browns can be a serviceable fantasy defense. So that's going to do it, everyone. Thank you for tuning in. It's been the PFF Fantasy Football Podcast. I'm Ian Hardis, and we will be back Wednesday with some uh, game-by-game breakdowns from myself and fellow PFF uh, contributor Dwayne McFarlane. So make sure you all check that out. Thank you for listening, everyone. And until next time, take care.